Ladies and gentlemen, purveyors of pugilistic practices, the Brit Pack is back. Simon Head and Shamakar Sandu back again with the latest from the last week in MMA. And on this week's show, we take a look back at the roller coaster ride that was Chris Cyborg's fight week in Brasilia. She claimed a win double beating the scales and then beating Lena Landsberg in the main event of UFC Fight Night down there in Brazil. Then we'll throw things forward to UFC 205 in New York City and run down the fights that have been announced as well as chatting about one or two fights that haven't, at least not yet. And the Brit Pack hits the road this weekend as we head off to cover two big European promotions, ACB and EuroFC. We'll bring you bang up to date with who's going where and what we're looking forward to later on in the show. And as always, we'll finish with the real stars of the show, you the listeners, as we answer your questions as tweeted to us at the Brit Pack MMA. We've got a lot to talk about this week, so Sandu, let's just launch straight into it, because we need to talk about the woman who's been dominating the conversation all week. And Sandu, that woman is? Chris Cyborg. Uh, it was uh, her and her fight and her weight that was sort of dominating the headlines all week long. Um, but eventually she, she made the weight, um, but, and there was a bit of controversy even for that, you know, during fight night, which I'm sure we're going to get to. Um, but let's talk about her performance side. I mean, once again, a dominant performance, leaving her opponent, Lena Landsberg, bloodied and battered on the canvas, um, as she was kind of making her way to the top of the cage to raise her hands in victory and, and celebrate. Um, but it was just another dominant performance this time in a main event slot of a UFC card. Um, it doesn't get any prominent than that. Uh, what were your overall thoughts, impressions, and reactions to Chris Cyborg's uh, second UFC win? I thought she did superb. Well, the problem that Cyborg has got is the, the level of competition. There just isn't anybody out there um, capable of giving her a matchup unless you put a real superstar in there like a Ronda or a Holly Holm or someone like that. And those fights aren't being put to her at the moment. So, and she's been put in this really weird position where she's fighting at 140. I think she's trying to prove a point herself that she can fight at 140 and that that might tempt some of these 135ers just up an extra few pounds. Whereas if she's operating at 145, it's a big, just a big jump for some of those girls to make. So, um, I understand why they're doing it. I think they're doing it to try and tee up a super fight, but. Really, it just—it's killing her on the scales, and it's just not working out properly. And you know, we—we we all saw what happened in the week. It was—it wasn't a good look for the UFC. You think one of the main things the UFC are trying to trying to improve is this fight against extreme weight cutting. They've brought in this new early weigh-in thing, which seems to be really well received by the fighters. The fighters seem to be healthier on fight night. They're healthier. Uh, quicker as well so that you know they're weighing in and then they're able to rehydrate they've got that almost a whole day extra to rehydrate before they fight and then you've got this anomaly which is Chris Cyborg who's having to absolutely kill herself to make 145 and uh, sorry 140 yeah sorry sorry 140 Um, I don't know if you saw the picture of her stood next to Dominic Cruz I did I tweeted that out actually (laughs) yeah I mean she would have been in heels I guess but just even phys- just yeah. physically she's just ridiculously and that, that's that's fight week cyborg as well so so that yeah. would have been pre-weighing so she would have been mid weight cut and and she absolutely dwarfed um you know an out of season dominic cruz it was just ridiculous so and that's the weight division people were expecting her to fight in so it really is it really is daft that they that, that they're doing this 
whether they create a division for her or not is irrelevant at this point. They should just let her fight at 145. As, yeah. for, the, as for the performance, though, I thought she did everything that you would expect her to do. Um, credit to Lena Landsberg for hanging in there as long as she did. She's a tough lady. She she did very well to hang in there. But, you know, it was Chris Cyborg as advertised, wasn't it? And uh, the big question now is what are they going to do with her next? Because they can't keep doing doing this because it's, it's not good for her. It doesn't look good for the UFC. And the matches, with all with all due respect, you know, they're, they're, you know, they're barely competitive. So I don't really know what, other than bringing a Holly Holm up a few pounds, I don't really know what they'll do. Or maybe a Jermaine Durandam is probably the most likely person they could pluck out of the out of the uh, bantamweight division. But who knows? I mean, what do you reckon? Yeah, I mean, going back to you, you mentioning uh, the picture of her standing at Dominic Cruz. Something that was released um, on Saturday, the day of the fight was actually uh, the documentary um, that was teased a while ago. And uh, if anyone hasn't seen it yet, um, look back at my Twitter feed. I'm sure it's in your Twitter feed as well, Cy. But essentially, if you go to YouTube, uh, type in Chris Cyborg and go to her official YouTube channel, it's about 40-odd minutes, and it's uh, it's a vlog-slash-documentary-style piece of video content which chronicles her journey uh, to UFC 198 in Curitiba, Brazil, um, and also a little bit of the aftermath there. And it essentially shows her going through uh, the weight-cutting process, and it's it's very, very difficult uh, to watch and to stomach and to absorb. Um, you've got her in this scene where there's essentially, I think, eight or nine, maybe ten members of her team um, at any given point in time, looking after her, keeping her motivated, helping her go through the process of going in the sauna and then weighing her in, um, keeping a tab on that. Um, and and, it, and it's just scary at one point, you know, actually, well, at multiple points, she's crying. Um, at one point when she, I think, makes 141 on the scale um, where she has to dis- disrobe herself and it's her boyfriend that's holding uh, the towel up for her. Um, as soon as she knows that she's hit um, 141 uh, prior to 198, um, she she just collapses and she starts to cry. And it's just, you know, hard to, to see somebody do that. And, you know, it's scary because we've seen her perform twice in the UFC now um, at 141. And it's and it's ridiculous because we probably haven't even seen the best of her. That's the, that's the crazy thing about it is her performances have been so dominant. Can you just imagine how much more dominant they potentially could be if she didn't have to drain herself so much more and if she could just weigh in at 145 or 146 if it's a non-title fight, you know? Um, so I definitely recommend checking out the uh, the documentary. It's, it's, it's really well made. And aside from just that experience, I think it, it kind of helps paint the picture of who Cyborg is outside of the fight game. It kind of shows her relationship with her niece and becoming a U.S. citizen, buying a home for the very first time and really living, you know, a humble lifestyle. Um, you know, she's not exactly making Ronda Rousey money yet. You know, she's not getting I don't believe in the millions and disclosed pay or pay-per-view points or anything like that. But what she's done and what the UFC have done with the Chris Cyborg kind of experiment this year is I think it's proven that she moves a needle. She's a star. She's a draw. People are very much interested in, in watching her fight. And it's crazy to think that not too long ago, she was almost considered a villain and a heel in the sport due to her previous PED um, use. And, and now fast forward a few years, Simon, she's almost like the sympathetic, you know, baby face uh, figure you know everyone's kind of rooting for her and pulling for her and um 
With regards to what the UFC should do, I agree with you, Sai. I mean, even if they don't create a 145 division, which I think they should, and it's interesting that Joe Rogan, uh, Joe Rogan came out and actually tweeted to the UFC and said, please, he used the word please, he pleaded with the UFC to create a featherweight division for her, right? Regardless of whether they do or not, just stop making a fight at 140. There is no 140 division. There is no 140 championship. Um, you know, keep it at 145. Yes, it's challenging to book her at 145 because she's so dominant. And yeah, if you do bring up a Holly Holm or a Misha Tate, you do risk damaging their marketability if she just destroys them. But what you've got here is a superstar uh, and, and a fighter that can headline a card and also somebody that's a massive star in Brazil. You know, and Brazilians, you know, aren't really dominating the sport and aren't, you know, cleaning the, cleaning up UFC championships like they used to maybe three or four years ago. So if you can get somebody like Cyborg, who's only thirty one, she's got plenty of you know gas left in the tank. You can you can easily get four or five six years um, out of her still. Um, I think the time is just to pull the trigger and start booking her uh, properly, and that's to book her in the one forty five division. Totally agree. Totally agree. I mean, the the ideal thing would be for them to create a division, but even if they don't. Book her at 145. Just let her fight at a natural weight. You're cheating the fans of seeing one of the best fighters in mixed martial arts. She's the, probably the best fighter in women's mixed martial arts. And she's a star. Why not show her off at, at, at her best? You know, why, why completely drain her dry and then put her in fights that she's still going to win anyway? When What do you get out of that? You get, you get sort of a half... You know, you're getting probably 50-60% of Cyborg doing it that way. Let her fight healthily. I mean, I, I suspect one four five is a bit of a, a bit of a stretch for her anyway. So let her fight at one forty five. That's the championship weight class that at least you could equate that to the, her championship tenure in, in Invicta. Then putting her at one forty is all just a little bit, all just a little bit weird. Um, I mean, if you were plucking someone out of that bantamweight division and saying we'd like to offer you a fight at let's say one hundred and forty five, who would you who would you like to see offered that's a tough question simon that's a very very tough question i think i mean if you're gonna bring somebody up from the bantamweight division someone that can really test her then i think someone like a holly home would be kind of the ideal scenario you've got holly home with her extensive boxing background and obviously a kickboxing background too someone that's definitely an elite striker and i think that's someone that people can believe would give you know, Cyborg will run for her money. You know, um, I don't believe Holly Holm is booked for any any fight upcoming. I know that she was, I think, nursing. I think it was an elbow injury, if I'm not mistaken, not too long ago. So she's, I think, available and free. And anyway, it doesn't really matter. Cyborg just fought, so they're not going to book her in the next six to eight weeks anyway. But I tell you what, I would do if I'm the UFC. If Ronda Rousey is going to come back, and she's going to come back for this December 30th, uh, I believe, uh, event, UFC 207. That's what the rumor is at the moment, or the speculation is. Now, I'm not saying book Ronda Rousey with Cyborg just yet, but I say, why don't you book Cyborg on the same card as Ronda Rousey, right? So you've got Ronda flying at 135, right? Um, whether it's for the the championship or not, but then you've got Cyborg, and then you've got this narrative. You can start to build a narrative between Cyborg and and Ronda Rousey, where they're fighting on the same card. There'll be tons of media attention. Um, I'm sure you know a, a pay per view event with Ronda Rousey is going to get far more eyeballs and far far a lot more media attention and, and media outlets covering the event than a, a fight night in Brasilia, Brazil, right? Um, and then depending on the outcome. 
then perhaps we can build towards a potential super fight between uh, Cyborg and Ronda Rousey. But that's how I do it. How would you do it, Cy? I like the sound of that. I like the sound, and I, I, I like the sound of having an all-female main card one day. I think I think there comes a time where that would be kind of cool to see, and maybe having you know slinging Yuani uh, and Jacek in the mix as well. But we now know that she's going to be competing at uh, UFC 205 in New York City, so. That wouldn't work for the December 30th event, but maybe it's, you know, 2017. Who knows? We could see something like that. I think it would be very cool. They did an all-heavyweight card a few years back. It might have been UFC 164 or 146. I think it's 146. Um, it was pretty much an all-heavyweight main card, which was crazy. Um, and they, they kind of, it was kind of coming together that way. And I thought, you know what? Let's just throw all the chips in and do it. Maybe they could do that for an all-women's card. I think that would be a really cool thing to do, uh, you know, a really cool thing to try and I think what it would also do, you get the star power of having Ronda on there. But what that also does is it gives the shine to everybody else on the card as well. And it, it opens up the opportunity for all these other female fighters to really break through and become stars as well. I think that would be very cool. Word for Lena Landsberg, who uh, is a bantamweight, um, who would have taken the fight at £145, um, took fight week in her stride all week long was uh, from what we can make out from, from, from our friends and colleagues down there in Brazil. She was an absolute joy to deal with very chilled out, very laid back, very confident. Um, obviously the fight didn't go her way. Even after she got beat, she seemed like, you know, she, she was grinning away. Like she won the thing, you know, she's like, Oh, this, this sounds ridiculous, but I thoroughly enjoyed that. And I'm like, you just got smashed. Oh no, I loved it. I loved it. So, so that was all a bit weird, but um, interesting to see because I think that was a UFC debut. So, be interested to see her at her best weight at 135 pounds and see where she fits in that bantamweight, uh, you know, weight weight class and see how she fits in. Um, who they might give her next, I don't know, but um, she certainly came across well during fight week. So, uh, interesting stuff from her. Did very well to last two rounds, I thought, against Cyborg. I think anybody... I mean, I, I predicted that it wouldn't go beyond like the first minute and a half, I think I said. So, you know, for her to get into well into the second round, it's about halfway through the second round, I think. So she did really well. Uh, very quickly, just to whiz through the results on the main card. Uh, Henan Burrell at featherweight now. Um, obviously, former bantamweight world champion. Um, beat Felipe Nova by unanimous decision. Roy Big Country Nelson, and I'm sure we'll talk about him later in the show. Yeah. Um, he picked up a knockout victory over Antonio Bigfoot Silva. We'll leave it at that for now because I think we'll probably have a question on that later. It does come up, yeah. Yeah, Francisco Trinaldo uh, is building even more momentum. I think that's something like seven in a row for him, something ridiculous like that. Uh, beat Paul Felder by TKO, Dr. Stoppage, third round, uh, midway through that final round. Eric Spicely get got a very nice rear naked choke submission against Thiago Moreta Santos uh, and a Godofredo Pepe uh, beat Mike De La Torre by first round rear naked choke. I don't know you can speak Portuguese though. Uh, obrigado, obrigado. <laughs> yeah, but I can only do it in an Italian accent. So, <laughs> yeah. so, Try doing the, it in a Jamaican accent. <laughs> I can only say beer can sandwich in uh, in, in Jamaican. But but uh, but yeah. So there you go. That's your main card. Um, not not a huge amount for us to get like really excited about. Henan Burrell at featherweight uh, getting a decision win. He doesn't look the same same guy who went all the way to the bantamweight title, but. He certainly looks healthier at 145, so we'll see where he goes. 
And Roy Nelson always hanging around there in that heavyweight division. He'll give anybody a fight. He wants Derek Lewis again. Derek Lewis wants him again. That fight has to be made at some point, surely. But uh, we'll see how Derek Lewis's career goes from there. That was UFC Fight Night uh, from Brasilia, Brazil. Coming up in a few weeks' time, we have UFC 205 in New York City. And this is the event that everyone has been talking about pretty much ever since uh, it looked like they were going to legalise MMA in the state of New York. You know, this debut event, it's going to be huge. It's going to be massive. This is going to be a real groundbreaking event, sort of a UFC 100-style card. And we've had UFC 200, obviously, and people were saying, yeah, UFC 200 was all right. Um, In terms of star power, fights weren't fantastic. But now everyone was saying, right, 205 is going to be ridiculously stacked. We've got a fair few fights announced, Sandu. I don't know if you've got them in front of you the same I, as I have. I do. I mean, um, this is pretty pretty much a, a good segue, side because we were talking about the UFC Fight Night Brasilia uh, card, and it, and it wasn't the sexiest card. I mean, the main talking point was Cyborg, but one of the tidbits that came out of the broadcast from Fox Sports was the actual uh, official fight card or lineup or announcement uh, for 205 so far. And, and I'll go through it very quickly and announce them all. It's, we've got, you know, going from the prelims up to the main card thus far, we've got 10 fights announced. Lyman Good versus Bilal Mohamed. Liz Carmouche versus Caitlin Chukagian. Tim Boach versus Rafael Natal. Frankie Edgar versus Jeremy Stevens. Thiago Alves versus Jim Miller. And then Misha Tate versus Raquel Pennington. Now, those fights so far, that's the prelim portion of the of the event. Here are the four fights confirmed for the main card. Donald Cerrone, Kevin, Kelvin Gastelum, Rashad Evans, Tim Kennedy, Karolina Kawakiewicz versus Yona Jan Jacek for the UFC Strawweight Champion, and then Stephen Thompson versus Tyron Woodley for the UFC Welterweight Championship. Now, there's a press conference, like you mentioned, mentioned Sai, um, taking place uh, this Tuesday at the theatre in MSG. And my gut tells me, and I think everyone guts is telling them that they've got one card up their sleeve. They've got the ace in the hole, so to speak. And there's still going to be a big fight announcement that's going to really push on um, and kind of galvanize the community to buy tickets, which go on sale officially this week, who I'm starting with Fight Club members on, on Wednesday. My only thing so far, Sian, and I want to get your take on this as well. If this is UFC um, 201, 202, 203, 204, that's a pretty damn good card already, right? With a few more announcements in the pipeline, that's a solid, solid fight card with some really, really stellar fights on it. But when you throw into the mix that this is the first card in New York, this is the very first card in MSG, the fact that UFC were campaigning for years and it was such a hot topic amongst us in the community that New York was a final state the UFC couldn't get legalized in. And then you had, at the time, owner Lorenzo Fatia kind of campaigning, saying, when we finally bring a car to MSG, we're going to bring the big guns. We're going to have our best stars. We're going to have the best fights possible. For me, just because it's 205 and just because it's MSG, this is a little underwhelming so far. I mean, I think mentally and psychologically, your expectations just rise because of the MSG New York City factor. Um, but I don't know what they're going to do. So, I mean, if they add a third title fight, you know, that will be 
unprecedented. I mean, you know, it doesn't happen every day that you get a, a UFC card with three title fights on there. Or will they just have some sort of super fight with two marquee, you know, fighters? And these are all questions that are going to remain unanswered until this press conference. And that's kind of going to be the main kind of talking point going into this presser is what are they going to announce? Um, what's your take so far, Sai, on, on the card itself? And what kind of thoughts and speculation do you have on what they might do this week? I think the card that we've got so far is superb. I've got to be honest with you. I think it's a great card. I think we've been a little unlucky. Um, we were going to get Donald Cerrone versus uh, Rory. Sorry, not Rory McDonald. A slip of the tongue uh, against uh, Robbie Lawler. Uh, that would have been an unbelievable fight. And obviously, uh, Robbie wasn't quite ready for this one. So we've got Kelvin Gasolum uh, instead. Uh, one fight that hasn't been officially announced, which I expect to be put on there, is Chris Weidman versus Yoel Romero. Uh, that's probably the other one that we that we know is pretty much there and, and just ready to be added. So I'm expecting that to be added. And the question, as you say, it really boils down to who's going to main event this, this, this card? Because if it's Tyron Woodley versus Wonderboy Thompson, that's a, that's a solid main event for a, for a non-Las Vegas, non-New York pay-per-view. Uh, or you can see that as a Fox headliner. But they're not what you would call super A-list pay-per-view stars yet. Yeah. Um, that, for me, is a co-main event just waiting to happen. So what they're going to put as a main event, as you said, it's either going to be another title fight or it's going to be a super fight. And for me, there are only really two options available to them. Uh, What's well, so available to them? There's only two options that I think they, they could be about to... Uh, announced one is the obvious one the one that everyone's hoping for the one that we're all holding out hope uh, in the media that we're going to see Eddie Alvarez against Conor McGregor uh, I still think that's a fight that, that that could be made I know there's been this talk about uh, Khabib Nurmagomedov being offered fights um, I can't help but think he might be being used as a pawn a little bit just as a bit of a smokescreen which would be harsh on him um, if it is but the Alvarez-McGregor fight is the one we want to see. The other one is a fight that we, uh, as fans of the sport, as people who've worked close to the sport, have probably talked about for the best part of a decade. And it's a fight that's never happened. Uh, and it might, right now, be the time to make it happen. And that would be a super fight between Anderson Silva and George St. Pierre. That is a makeable fight. If you can get George St. Pierre to sign a contract, that is a makeable fight. Now, obviously, there's the, the Toronto card that follows a few weeks later. The natural thinking is that if you were going to bring GSP back, you'd do that in Toronto. But would you? If there is a main event slot waiting to be filled at Madison Square Garden, no less, you know, some of the greatest exponents of the fighting arts have competed there. And if you're talking about the UFC, George St. Pierre is in the top two or three of all time in my opinion, for him to be main eventing at MSG against another guy who's probably in the top three of all time, Anderson Silva, that, I think, would be a suitable card topper for this event. Not the big pay-per-view uh, world championship fight, but you've got two A-listers, like the two genuine legends of the sport in a, in a showcase fight in the main event, and then you've got two world championship fights featuring young, up-and-coming champions, if you like, Yoani and Jacek and uh, Tyron Woodley, and allowing them to build their star uh, under the under the, uh, under the the lights, if you like, 
with these superstar guys at the top of the card, bringing those eyeballs uh, to the event. I think that will work really well. Alvarez v McGregor, no mistake, would be my choice. But I wouldn't be at all surprised if I announced Anderson Silva GSP. I like the fact, and I agree with you, we all want Eddie Alvarez as a Conor McGregor. It, you know, champion versus champion, that's what MSG should be all about, especially the first one. Um, uh, potentially history being made with McGregor being the first uh, two-weight champion at the same time, that's a great storyline. How Who are you going to have there to take advantage of the media capital of the world? It should be Conor McGregor, you know? He's the one that's going to give all these media outlets, maybe some of whom have never been to a UFC event before or covered a UFC event before. He's the one that's going to give you these zingers and one-liners and something to, to go back to your editor with. You know what I mean? Um, so that's the one that I think we're all secretly hoping the UFC you know, pull the trigger on. I like as a plan B GSP versus Anderson Silva because they've got so much history with the sport, You know, legends of the sport, former champions. There's a legacy there. It's a fight that's been talked about for quite some time. For me personally, it's it's, uh, it's a fight that I've probably wanted to see maybe two, three, four years ago. Um, I'll, I mean, I'll still get excited about it, I suppose. Maybe the Bunsen burner isn't you know going to be burning as hot as it would have been maybe four or five years ago if that's when the fight happened. But nonetheless, in terms of getting two guys with marquee value to headline an MSG card, they both definitely tick the, tick the box. The only thing that I think could nix this potential fight from happening and why I think that it probably won't happen is GSP entered the USADA testing pool about, I think it was two and a half, three months ago. But basically, he, you've got to complete a four-month cycle before you can fight. And if I'm not mistaken... I think he's well within the time frame to be able to fight on the Toronto card on December 10th, but wouldn't have been able to complete the four-month period to be available for the New York card. Now, there's nothing to say that the UFC can't give him special treatment like they did with Brock Lesnar earlier this year, where he kind of came into the USADA testing pool pretty late, um, but they still kind of allowed him, kind of gave him a waiver, so to speak, so they can get him on UFC 200. So they can definitely do that, but if they did that, it would kind of bring back the storyline of Brock Lesnar, and I think they got a lot of flack for it. Um, so we'll see, you know, how that all, you know, um, shakes up and develops. But I mean, that this week the major storyline and the major kind of headlines will all be about UFC 205. It will be about New York. We're going to get the final finalized lineup. We're going to get a main event, uh, and it's going to be interesting to see what the UFC do tomorrow. Yeah, I, I really, really hope it's Eddie Alvarez versus Conor McGregor. I think that's the fight that the sport needs right now because. On top of the fact that it's a big showpiece fight, it hits the reset button on the featherweight division as well because I think if Conor McGregor was to then go on and beat Eddie Alvarez, there's no need for him to hold that 145-pound belt anymore. He's achieved his aims. He's become two-weight world champion. And unless he's then going to drop down and defend it in his, in his next fight, and you know there, there is no point in him having that belt anymore. If he loses, then... Really, he has to move. He has to move. So, it's mind you, we were saying this up, you know, after the last fight. So, um, I don't know. I, I you'd like to think that this would be this would be the one that really kickstarts everything and gets everything back into line. We've got interim titles flying around that really don't need to be there. You know, John Jones technically is an interim champion. There's no need for him to be an interim champion because the champion is active. And actually, the interim champion isn't anymore. So, so that needs to go. Jose Aldo is an interim champion. 
which is ridiculous because Conor McGregor is active and has the other belt. So he either defends it or he or he or he lets it go. That's that's how that has to be. But yeah, champion versus champion at MSG is the perfect the perfect way to do it. Just on that on that card, I am very very pleased that Frankie Edgar is on this card. I'm very pleased that uh, we've got a veteran guy like Jim Miller on the card who. Um, I think he he deserves every good spot that he can get. He's been a real servant to the sport without ever quite making it to world championship level. I talk um, about getting some uh, premium cards this year. He was on UFC he, 200, he was on 200 and now he's going to get 205 as well. Yeah. That's, to, that's yeah, a class well, move. Class move by the UFC. Yeah, get him on there, you know, and uh yeah, I, I you know, people like him and and uh you know, there's 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 a few guys out there who you just, you know, when you see them on the cards, you just get, you just get excited and pleased for them because you know they're going to put in a good performance. Joe Lozon is the other guy who springs to mind. You know, whenever you see him on a card, you think, "Good for him! I'm really pleased for him. He's he's been around the block. He's done the he's done the hard yards, but he always comes to fight and always puts a good fight on." So, so have Jim Miller on that card against Thiago Alves, I think that'll be a cracker of a fight. Um, Bilal Mohamed is a good up and coming welterweight prospect. He's exciting to watch, so I'm looking forward to seeing him. Misha take Raquel Pennington. She's having to take uh, one step back to hopefully take two forward. Uh, but for Raquel Pennington, this is a breakthrough fight for her. If she she wins that, then she's going to be right up there as a, as a bona fide contender. So, uh, and Chris Wyburn, obviously, if he gets on that card, you know he probably as much as anybody as really deserves his spot on this card. He was one of the guys who really lobbied hard with the. Uh, the American, uh, sorry, sorry, with the New York uh, political system over there, really lobbying hard on the UFC's behalf, speaking uh, publicly on 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 the topic, and you know having to field some pretty stupid questions over the over the past months, I would imagine. So uh, for him to be able to fight in his hometown would be a dream for him. But we need that main event, don't we? We need that main event. I tell you what, Sai, um, there's ten fights confirmed, right? Yeah. A typical UFC event has is it twelve or thirteen fights? 12 normally, 13 if you're lucky. All right. So <laughs> so let's say this so let's say this car's going to have 13, right? Just for okay. argument's sake, right? Yeah. And there's and there's three fights left to add to this card. Here's my here's my kind of thought, speculation and prediction and wouldn't this just be the perfect scenario if the next if the final three fights announced at the press conference this week are the main event Eddie Alvarez Conor McGregor um, you've got another addition to the main card slot with Yoel Romero versus Chris Weidman. And here, here, 100% agree with you. You've got to give Chris Weidman a slot on this card just because of the work he's put in um, with, the, like you said, the New York um, political system there. And then how about Mickey Gall versus Super Sage Northcutt for perhaps either your, uh, your Fox Sports headliner or your Fight Pass featured prelim? How how wonderful would that be if you can put those three fights to this card? That's got MSG New York City. We bow down to the MMA gods. Thank you very much. We'll take that all day long. Yeah, I, yeah. I'm surprised we didn't actually mention that fight before. Mickey Gall versus uh, versus Sage Northcutt is it's 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 ridiculous that we've got these two. They're basically two kids, aren't they? Um, especially in the, in in Sage Northcutt's uh, example, but these guys are really new, and uh, under normal MMA logic, neither of these two guys would be in the UFC. But here they are; they're doing, you know, they're doing their thing. And uh, Mickey Gall has gone and picked himself a fight with uh, Sage Northcutt, 
And it's perfect. It is absolutely perfect. That needs to be the Fight Pass main event, you know, the, or the featured prelim on Fight Pass. It's it's the fight that needs to happen. It's perfect. They both were built through UFC Fight Pass. They've become stars through UFC Fight Pass. They've both stepped out of UFC Fight Pass to, to a bigger audience. Now, on the Supercard, put the main event at Fight Pass, sort of come home to Eric Winter and his, uh, and his streaming platform and say, He's almost like the principal at the t- at the, at the high school with the the two you know you got the, the 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 supreme jock the captain of the football team in Super Saiyan Northcut and then you've got like the kid that's always getting suspended like Mickey Gall that's what I picture when I see that whole scenario playing out. <laughs> yeah, and and you know they've both they've both come back after their first year at college to sort of teach all the other young kids that it can be done. You know, you know this is this is this is what Fight Pass can do for you and. Uh, you know they're both they're both doing really well for themselves, and uh, that fight needs to happen. I hope it happens on this card. And they're both they're both doing their little bit to sell the fight already. I know Sage even attempted a little bit of trash talk the other day, which didn't really count as much trash talk. But he was you know he was he was sort of answering back to some of the stuff Mickey Gall has said. And uh, Mickey Mickey's doing a good job. So I, yeah, let's see that fight. The Wyman Romero fight is an absolute given. That needs to be on the card. And then you know. Cross your fingers, cross your toes, cross your eyes, whatever you want to cross. Eddie Alvarez, Conor McGregor gets announced as the main event. Um, and then uh, we can all start getting very excited and hoping, hoping to the heavens that no one gets hurt between now and November the 12th. Um, what we do know is, uh, this is one of these things where the main event can quite often dictate how you feel about an entire fight card. That fight card is brilliant. Yeah. You look at the quality of the matchups there. You look at the quality of the people on that card. You know, Jay Czech and Karolina Kowalkiewicz, all Polish world title fight. Uh, Donald Cerrone is one of the biggest crowd favourites in the UFC. Kelvin Gastelum is one of the most successful Ultimate Fighter winners in recent history. You think, you know, uh, the guys who've, who've come through, they haven't had the same success that some of the early guys have done. Kelvin is doing pretty well. He's working his way up. Frankie Edgar, Jeremy Stevens can't can't suck at all. There's no way that fight sucks. Tim Kennedy uh, hasn't fought for ages, but has got an amazing story to tell against Rashad Evans coming back again, but this time doing it at 185 pounds, where I thought he should have fought for for a very long time anyway. Uh, Tim Boach, Jim Miller, you know Misha Tate, Liz Carmouche. I don't think she, is, is Liz Carmouche fought for in, in in the last year. So you know, so. so so you know, and she was obviously the first. The, she she was involved in the first ever female fight in the UFC. So you know, that was a nice little, a nice little nod to uh, to the past as well. So there's some good fights on this card, mate. And um, all we need now is that big superstar fight just to put the cherry on top of the cake. Otherwise, I think a few people might just start feeling a little bit let let down by it, which would be a shame because that is a stellar card already. Absolutely, and you mentioned at the top of the show, side that. Uh, we've got a pretty uh, pretty fun and filled uh, event schedule coming up over the course of the next couple of months. Uh, you and me both, we're going to be on the road quite a bit. Uh, you know, starting from uh, the back, kind of moving forward, we're going to have Belfast in November. Uh, prior to that, we're going to have uh, the New York card, which is which was we just spoke about UFC 205 uh, in Madison Square Garden. Uh, prior to that, we're going to be in Manchester for UFC 204. And prior to that, you and me are going to be on the road in Europe. We're we're on a on a European kind of holiday, I suppose. Uh, 
we're all going on the European tour, Sai. Um, I'm going to be in Helsinki, Finland uh, for Euro FC 1. Uh, Euro FC, which is uh, a brand new uh, promotion um, that's uh, been launched. Um, and I'm going to get into that in a bit. Uh, and you're going to be uh, up in Glasgow, Scotland for uh, a card by ACB, um, which is f- stacked full of of pretty well known names, especially uh, from from the UK that have fought for uh, the UFC uh, very recently, in fact. Um, so, um, and I just I guess you know fate would have it that you and me are both you know away on the same weekend in different parts of Europe. So I guess that'll make um, next week's show quite interesting for us to both report back um, on our experiences. It's not often, Sai, uh, that y- you and me get to go. Um, to kind of smaller regional promotions uh, and events um, simply because, you know, to be quite open and frank and honest about it, you know, at the top of the food chain is, is the UFC and then after them it's, you know, Bellator and I guess after them could, would come the Cage Warriors and the Bammers of the World in terms of, you know, what our sites want in terms of coverage. Um, but why don't you kind of kick us off, Sai? You're going to be in ACB. How did this come about? Why are you going there? What's the card all about? And what are you looking forward to? ACB is a Russian promotion, uh, and ACB stands for Absolute Combat or Absolute Championship Burkut. Uh, Burkut is Russian for eagle. Um, and uh, their slogan is Less Show, More Fights. Um, and it really is, if you think fight pass pacing is quick, you wait till you see an ACB show. They are literally throwing the fighters out of the cage after one fight. And as they're leaving one door, the two fighters for the next fight are in the next are in the opposite door. They do not mess about at all. Um, those fights get turned around quick, and they're crazy as well. If you look up the ACB um, YouTube channel, some of those fights are off the hook bonkers. They're absolutely crazy. Um, I'll watch the fight. One of the first fights I saw on ACB was ACB thirty eight. Uh, a guy called Arby Agugev, I think, or Agujev, um, who's managed by a friend of ours, Danny Rubenstein. Um, he took on a guy called uh, Tokov, and uh, it was like something out of a Rocky movie. It was ridiculous. It's on YouTube. Look it up. It's bonkers. Um, and I've just watched another fight this afternoon that might be even more nuts. There are just ridiculous fights. What they've done, obviously, they're, they're Russian based. They feature mostly Eastern European and Russian talent. However, they're beginning to branch out now. We've had a few British fighters have gone over there and, and fought. Ed Arthur has been over and fought over there. Mike Wilkinson has been over and fought over there. Now what they've done is they've decided they're going to come over here and they're holding a show at the Hydro Arena in Glasgow. Um, and uh, Rob Whiteford, former UFC featherweight, Rob Whiteford is headlining against Kevin Petschy. Um, in a featherweight contest. Uh, Saul Rogers, the man, probably one of the unluckiest men in UK MMA. He was so close to getting that shot in the UFC. The only man to go undefeated in that season of the Ultimate Fighter. Um, Got all the way to the final, and then Visa Issues scuppered him coming out to Vegas uh, for the finale. Was basically told, we don't want you anymore. And uh, he's now signed... An exclusive contract, multi-fight contract with uh, with ACB. He's very happy. Rob Whiteford, very happy. Uh, he did an interview uh, with a colleague of ours, uh, Jim Edwards, I think, and uh, he said uh, he's getting paid more in ACB than he did at the UFC. So wow. So so he's doing all right. Um, and uh, we've got 
Stormy Norman Park is on this card. A guy who, if the MMA gods had been a little bit kinder to him, he'd still be on the UFC's books and would be fighting in his native Northern Ireland in a few weeks' time. He isn't. Uh, instead, he's going to be fighting in Glasgow on Saturday against Andrew Fisher. Uh, Danny Mitchell, the cheesecake assassin, he fought in the UFC a few times. Uh, he also fought the last time we were at Bellator. Um, finished uh, finished with a fantastic twister submission that had everyone on press row purring. This is the fight, probably the one fight on the card that I've picked out as one that I'm really looking forward to. He's taking on Jake Boswick, who is a staple of the MMA scene over in here. here sorry, here in the UK. Um, he was on the first ever fight card I ever I ever went to. Um, I went to it was an Ultimate Challenge event at the Troxy, and it must have been eight or nine years ago and Jake Boswick was just a kid then and they brought him in and he wasn't expected to win and he I can't even I think it was Deniston Sutherland he was fighting actually and he beat Deniston Sutherland and that was it was a real shock result and that was the start of his career and he's he's really picked things up recently he's moving up the ranks uh he's taking on Danny Mitchell in what what must be one of the biggest biggest high profile fights in his career so I'm looking forward to that Ed Arthur's on the card John Maguire is on the card with his gypsy jiu-jitsu. He's going to be on the card. Uh, Chris Bungard's on the card. Ryan Scope, who's a very exciting prospect who fought in Bama previously. James Brum. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a big old card. This Lee Chadwick, who's a stable mate of Scott Askham and Mark Diacasey. Uh, he's involved. Uh, the, one, the one guy who isn't on the card, unfortunately, is Mike Wilkinson, who um, was due to compete. But I understand uh, has had to pull out with an injury, which is which is very unfortunate for him, because uh, he's had a he's had a terrible terrible time with injuries over the last eighteen months or so, uh, out for a very long time with a, with uh, with an injury. Came back, fought um, fought at UFC at UFC London, lost, and then got cut by the UFC. Uh, so his this 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 was his big. His big homecoming, if you like, and uh, he's he's missed out. So I'm gutted for him. He's he's one of the good lads in the sport. He's a really good, really good guy, and uh, hopefully we see him back in action soon. But yeah, Pat Card. There's a lot of Eastern European talent on the card. I'm not going to pretend to know who they all are. Uh, I'll know a bit more once we get once once we get through fight night. But it's going to be an exciting card. Uh, the Scottish fans always bring a ridiculous atmosphere. It'll be great fun up there at the Hydro. I know one or two of the guys who listen to the show are going to be making making the trip up to the Hydro to uh, to watch that one. So uh, if those guys, anyone up, anyone who's listening to the show who is going to be at that event, please do let us know what you thought of it after it's all finished and uh, we'll maybe share some of your views on next week's show as well. But really looking forward to it. It should be great fun. I think it's going to be quite a, an interesting um, you know, atmosphere and crowd uh, in Glasgow for you because I remember being there with you um, last year when the UFC kind of made their debut at the SSE Hydro. And especially the Scottish fighters, they got an amazing uh, reaction and response. Um, and obviously Bisping in the main event against, uh, uh, was it? Um, Talis Latis. Talis Latis, that's it, yeah. in, the, in the main event. And um, yeah, I think they're going to, you know, if they're, only, if they're half as good as that UFC crowd were, which I'm sure they will be, uh, it's going to make for a really you know, good atmosphere. And um, yeah, Euro FC. So it's interesting because, like you said, you don't know too much about the Eastern European fighters that are going to be on the ACB card. I couldn't tell you much about the majority of fighters on the Euro FC card just because I haven't had a chance to get around to actually doing some research on them. And that's all a part of my plan this week is to kind of um, do some information, uh, do some background research on these guys. What I can tell you, though, 
is there are some fi uh, fighters on the card um, that especially the hardcore MMA community and hardcore listeners should be familiar with. Um, so first of all, there was some breaking news earlier on today, actually. Um, the main event of Euro FC 1 um, had Tom Ninamaki versus uh, Johnny Bedford, um, both guys who formerly fought for the UFC. Uh, unfortunately, Johnny Bedford had to... Um, pull out due to a neck injury and uh, Euro FC announced earlier today that Jonathan Brookins tough season 12 winner former UFC fighter um, has replaced him on a week's notice um, so that's going to be very interesting because he's he's coming in uh, he's going to fly into Finland um, and he's straight in then in the main event slot I don't know what kind of shape he'll be in um, but I'm looking forward to kind of uh, catching up with him on, on the weekend just to kind of find out how that, that's, that's definitely going to be the main storyline, um, you know, going into this kind of inaugural event for the promotion. Um, but it's owned. Uh, the CEO is a name uh, by, uh, is a guy by the name of uh, Jano Kukila, um, who has formerly had positions in uh, the Finnish Olympic Committee and uh, Finnish Sports Confederation. Uh, and being a Finn himself, um, what better way to kind of um, launch your 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 European um, MMA promotion than in Helsinki, Finland. And uh, the card obviously has got a lot of Finnish fighters on there. Uh, Tom Ninamaki obviously being the best uh, the best well-known. Um, there is a Brit uh, flying on the card. Uh, his name is Stuart Austin, um, who has fought for uh, Bama and also Bellator before. Um, Isabella Badurik might be familiar to some. She has fought for the UFC before as well. Um, but EuroFC is a very interesting promotion because... They initially, a few months ago, when I saw the press release and the launch, it was kind of very much, you know, we're a European promotion. Um, and, you know, I, th I thought and the way it kind of came across was, OK, it's a European promotion going to promote uh, European fighters across the board. Um, not like, for example, Bama or Cage Warriors, who predominantly have a UK and Ireland based core of fighters on their roster but though that was interesting but then they started to kind of have american fighters on their card and I thought well maybe that's sending some mixed messages and that's something i'm going to definitely ask the guys when i see them this week to find out the thinking behind getting the, some of these americans on the card but i get it you know the americans perhaps do have uh, the name value um so it, it should either attract some media attention or at least um give some of the fans uh, the hardcore MMA community who are buying tickets to attend or watch um, some sort of familiarity uh, to kind of step in uh, to this first inaugural event and then perhaps find out a little bit more about some of the other fighters. I mean, we've got fighters there from like Australia. Robert Wilkinson's from Australia. Um, but in terms of how this opportunity came about for me to go over to the event, and again, it's kind of like random because I haven't really been to a Cage Warriors or Obama event uh, in quite some time. Um, and eventually, like, like I spoke about earlier on, so it all comes down to what our masters and our, our kind of managing, managing editors and what our outlets want us to do, what they want to pay us to go and cover. One of the outlets that I report for is flowcombat.com. And they're not your typical media outlet because... They have a lot of content um, um, relationship kind of deals um, with a lot of regional promotions uh, in the states, and and it's not just in in MMA. Um, it's there's there's Flow Wrestling, so they have de deals in place with some of the wrestling organizations, and the deals are always to stream their their events exclusively under the Flow Sports banner. So with Flow Sports, when you get a, a yearly subscription or a, or a monthly rolling subscription you get access to exclusive content. And a part of that exclusive content 
are live streamed events, whether it's MMA or wrestling or triathlons, um, whatever the case may be. Even e-gaming is one of the new verticals um, that they launched recently. Um, so part of the deal was is that Flow Sports is Flow Combat is going to stream Euro FC, and as, as part of that deal, um, they wanted to have somebody go over to the event. Lo and behold, I'm one of maybe two guys over here in Europe that work for Flow Combat and they wanted me to go over, um, you know, live blog and live tweet the event and uh, and get some post-fight interviews. So my job in the night is to kind of um, just enjoy the atmosphere, enjoy it for what it is, is, is meet the Euro FC gang for the very first time, um, you know, call the action like I see it, I suppose, and then get some post-fight interviews. I'm only there for 36 hours. I fly on a Friday night. I'll be there all day Saturday and I'll get back Sunday afternoon. Um, but I'm looking forward to it. I think this is great for us, Sai, because what this does is it, it hopefully gives us more opportunities to get out there on the road. It also gives some of the European-based fighters more opportunities to um, get their names uh, out there, build their records. Uh, because ultimately, you know, I'm sure every fighter will say this, whether you're fighting for Bama, for Cage Warriors, for ACB or for Euro FC, whoever, the, whoever it is, your ultimate goal is to get there to either the UFC or the better tools of the world. Right, uh, is to get those big contracts, to get those big opportunities, um, and so to it, isn't, it doesn't hurt to have more uh, promotions. It doesn't hurt at all. I know that um, earlier today I saw uh, Mark Goddard, who is obviously the best uh, Brit referee we've got up there with John McCarthy and Herb Dean. Uh, in my opinion, he's going to be out there. So. That signals to me that UFC are doing the right thing. They're going out to try and get the best people they can to help support the event and to help regulate it and officiate it. Um, and that's definitely sending uh, the right messages. But yeah, overall, I'm really looking forward to it. For anyone that's listening that wants to watch um, UFC 1, just go to flowsports.com, go to flowcombat.com, um, become a subscriber and uh, enjoy the fight. Uh, fight from uh, from from Helsinki, Finland, along with all the other live-streamed events that the, the organization has. Fantastic, and then I think uh, I think the ACB event will also be streamed live. Uh, we'll have that on the Sun website. I'll probably live blog that. Um, we now have proper live blogging capability on our website after 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 much much waiting on my behalf. We've now have it, so uh, want to really ramp it up for UFC 204. But this this, this might be a good uh, a good dry run. So we might have a, a live stream and live blog uh, double header going on on the Sun website on Saturday from Glasgow. But yeah, completely agree with you. Having these, it's great to be able to get out and go to some of these other shows. Um, as you say, it's, uh, it's not always, it's not always possible. It's not always easy. Um, and, uh, you know, be able on those occasions when we do get to go to them, it is all, it is always, it is always good fun. Um, and seeing some of the stars of tomorrow, hopefully, uh, working their way through the system and, and building their careers. And hopefully we'll come back, raving about one or two performances from people who maybe we'll see on the big stage in a, in a, in a few months or a few years' time. Um, that's what's happening next weekend. Uh, one thing I did want to mention, actually, before before we move on, uh, we've uh, we've lost one of uh, UK MMA's uh, real stalwarts from the game this week. Uh, Rob Seafor Sinclair, former Bama lightweight champion, uh, announced his retirement uh, this week. Uh, he competed at FCC... Uh, at the weekend and lost out to Charlie Leary in a in a, in a, in a lightweight title fight uh, and uh, he said win or lose that 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 was his last fight anyway um, but Rob C. Four Sinclair is one of those guys in my opinion that he can count himself a little unlucky he did have a contract with Bellator I think he fought once or twice with Bellator um, 
but suffered once. with injury for yeah. once with Bellator. Yeah, and uh, he had some terrible injuries. And I think when he was with Bellator was when they were going through that awkward transition of ownership as well. Um, so he kind of fell through the cracks a little bit. Uh, so he never really got his big chance on the big stage. And he was a guy who he's got a great personality. He's really he's really engaging to talk to. One of the real characters of UK mixed martial arts, and um, was one of the, I think he was on the like the second Bama show I ever covered was Bama Seven, and he he was on that show and, and uh, stood out to me as one of the most entertaining guys on the card. He knocked out Diego Vital uh, with a with a, an absolute peach of an uppercut in that fight. It was it was a superb performance from him. Uh, he defended his title I think three three times. Um, and never lost it. Actually, he is when he left the promotion. He, he never lost it. And his last fight with Bama was uh, was last year in in June. And I was there for that as well at Bama Twenty One. He fought Michael Brightman, and uh, he beat Michael Brightman by first round TKO. And was sitting on the cage celebrating. And then he motioned over to his team, who produced a rucksack. Uh, and from the rucksack, he pulled out his original Bama lightweight championship belt. And just waved it to the crowd, who went absolutely nuts. Um, it was just him saying, "I'm still the I'm still the man around here. I'm still the light. I'm still the real lightweight champion around here." And I thought I thought that was a really nice moment, and it was great that he had that moment. He obviously lost at FCC at the weekend up there in uh, in, in in Manchester, but uh, yeah, he's called it. He's called it a day. He's going to spend more time with his family now, and I just wanted to I just wanted to put it on the show and just just wish him all the best because he's. Uh, He's always been great to deal with whenever I've spoken to him. And uh, for me, he's one of the most entertaining and maybe a little bit uh, one of the more unlucky guys um, in UK MMA. Because I think he, he deserved the shot on the big stage and he never really got it. But all the very best to see for Rob Sinclair. Nice one, Sai. And, and it kind of goes back to what we said earlier on, Sai, isn't it? I mean, sometimes, you know, you need a little bit of luck. You know, you need a little bit of luck. Uh, you need the opportunity and the platform to build a career, which is why it's great that the ACBs of the world and Euro FCs are around alongside the Bammers and the Cage Warriors and the FCCs. Uh, because without promotions like that, um, you know, some of which have got deals with you, you know, UFC Fight Pass, for example, you know, um, it kind of helps, just helps kind of get their name out there a little bit so they can hopefully um, get to the big stage. Um, but without these op- opportunities, you know, it's so tough. You know, the U.S. market has so many. It's almost like every other state. You know, there's the Alaska ch- you know, uh, championships, and you've got Legacy, and you've you've got all you know Thai NFC. You've got so many promotions out there in the U.S. and it's and it's good that uh, Europe um, is now catching up. And, and it's nice that because for a long time, I think our um, stateside friends always thought of the European market as pretty much dominated by Bama and Cage Warriors, maybe because you know, the UK and Ireland market is so big and it does stand out from the crowd when you look at Europe as an overall MMA market. Uh, but now that the ACBs of the world and EuroFCs are around, it's only a good thing. Brave um, is another um, promotion just launched in Bahrain um, last weekend with Brave One. Um, that They've got a lot of money behind them. With, I bet uh, they have. Bahrain. Yeah, yeah exactly right. Um, and they had a couple of SBG fires um, on the card and we'll see what they do in the future as well. Nice. But um, but yeah, it's time. It's that time of the week, Sai. Uh, it's time for us to kind of go through um, what's fast becoming our favourite segment of the show. Um, thank you once again 
Uh, everyone's been I've actually noticed now so people are starting to throw in the questions during the week which I love uh, because it helps us stockpile the questions and uh, not have to rely so much on trying to promote the Q&A section on a Sunday or Monday Uh, but thank you once again for everyone uh, who tweeted in um, used a hashtag and got back to either myself Simon um, or used the official Britpack MMA Twitter handle so to, to kick things off uh, Daryl Chumbly says, could Cyborg be too dominant to build a division around? She's more dominant at 145 than Ronda was at 135, in my opinion. Now, Simon, I don't think it's the worst thing in the world if you've got someone that's super, super dominant. Yes, it becomes challenging to book for that fighter, and that's where kind of the, the matchmakers really have to do a lot of homework and hard work and, and try and build contenders and, and nab fighters from wherever you can, especially uh, when the women's side of the game is still kind of emerging and you're trying to cultivate talent. But having a dominant champion is not a bad thing. Having a dominant uh, you know, draw like Cyborg is not a bad thing. You know, if so, if Ronda Rousey was still champion and they were still feeding her the Betchko hairs of the world, trust me, that wouldn't be the worst thing in the world uh, for the UFC because she's a draw. She's a proven pay-per-view by attraction. She attracts a crap load of media attention and being able to present her as a UFC champion does wonders for the brand of the organization. So, yes, we want to see the most competitive fights possible, um, but to have someone that's absolutely dom- dominant um, you know, just run through people isn't the worst thing in the world. What do you think, Sai? I agree with you, and I think this takes us back to the first part of the show when we were talking about the issue with Cyborg and weight divisions and, and things like that. It'll be easier to find opponents for Cyborg if there's a UFC championship belt on the line. That will encourage people to fight her, for sure, uh, because immediately that means they're going to be fighting in a co-main event slot or a main event slot or third on the card on an absolutely ridiculous super fight card. So straight away you're getting, you know, you're getting big exposure. Second of all, you're getting extra money in theory for fighting in a title fight. And thirdly, you're one win away from becoming a world champion. So all of those things soften the blow of having to get in there with the scariest woman in mixed martial arts. So so um I think I think that's 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 a real argument point for having a 145 pound belt because People aren't going to get... I mean, what's in it for the opponents, the cyborg? Really? There isn't... You know, they're not being paid ridiculous sums of money at this stage. So it's, you know, it's... it's There's not a huge upside other than being the first person to beat Cyborg in... Well, since her debut, I think. So really, there's not that huge upside. Put a world championship belt in the way and say, beat her, you get this. Then you'll get people going, do you know what? I fancy my chances. But you're not going to fancy your chances for for sort of fifteen and fifteen and being headlight sort of headlining the prelims. But if you're co-main event on a pay per view and you're going to get thirty five and thirty five and there's a world championship belt on the line, maybe you'll be a little bit more up for taking that fight. So so that I think would help as a dominant champion. Yeah, I think over time it will get boring. But right now, when you're establishing it. What better than having this undefeatable champion there and saying, okay, who can come and knock her off her perch? And that's the story. And it happened with Ronda. And when it happened, it was the big one of the biggest stories, not just in mixed martial arts, in sport. When she got beat by Holly Holm, that wasn't just an MMA story. That was a global sports story. And that trended worldwide 
like you wouldn't believe, and it did enormous numbers on on the Sun website. It did enormous numbers, I, I dare say, for all the other UK outlets that, that that covered it. And there were outlets that had no interest in MMA before who were writing about that story because it was that big. It broke through. It was a mainstream story. So, um, you know, that's why these things are big because Ronda. If that had been Ronda's first fight in the UFC, would that have been such a big thing? No, it's because she built over a period of time this air of invincibility, plus the fact that she was, uh, you know, she became this media darling as well. That didn't that didn't hurt. Um, whether Cyborg has got the same ability to become a media darling, I don't know, but she deals with the media very well, and but she's got a slightly different aura to her. She's got this. This, uh, I mean, she's called Cyborg for crying out loud. So that's that, you know, that's the start. So you know, she's got this sort of terrifying uh, persona when she gets in the cage, and and that's the selling point of its of in and of itself. Put a belt on her shoulder and have the world, and then tell the world, come and get it off me. Then you've got yourself something, and I think that's 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 what we need. We need the division. We don't need it to give her fights, but I think it'll make it easier to give her fights if she's got a belt. Absolutely. Lloyd Clash tweets in and says, Can Burrell get the belt back? Crazy 30-odd fight streak before madness. Uh, we spoke about it briefly earlier on, Si. I mean, it's great that he's, he's looking healthy at 145. Um, you know, it's a division that he could perhaps have a resurgence in in his career. Having said that, though, I mean, he's been in a lot of fights, you know. It's, you know, and, uh, sooner or later, they take their toll. Um have we seen the best of him already? You know, did we see the best of him during his title run? Perhaps we don't know. Can he adapt his game to the TJ Dillashaws and the Dominic Cruz style of fighting uh, that we currently see a growing trend in? Who knows? Um, but I mean, I think it was good that he got a win in his backyard in Brazil. I think with him, you need to be a little bit careful. I think you build him back up slowly. Um, there's no need to put him in, in a title fight. I don't think his performances um, warrant that just yet. But I think you can slot him on a, on a main card of, of a fight night, let him get maybe you know, three or four wins um, in, in, in a new division, let him you know, get settled into that division. Um, you know, I don't think Jose Aldo will be around forever at 145 anyway. Um, I know that he's eventually said that he'd like to go up to 155. So maybe you know, being uh, from Team Nova Yunel, uh, being you know really good friends, maybe they'll at some point be a passing of the torch, so to speak, where Jose Aldo steps up to 155, and then perhaps Barrow can um, slot into that position to be a title contender at featherweight. What do you think? Yeah, I agree with you. I certainly don't think he's going back down to, to 135 again. Um, I think he's found his home at 145, and he's just finding his feet right now. Um, you know that that 145 pound division, just looking down the top 15. That is stacked with some serious talent, and he's he's not currently he's not currently ranked at 145. And you look at the, you look down there, and you think, okay, who do you fancy putting him in against? Um, you know, there's there's so much talent in there. Maybe someone like Hakran DS would be a good one for him. Uh, introduce him to the top 15, and then go from there. You know, people like Charles Oliveira would be a good stylistic fight. Um, Anthony Pettis would be an interesting fight if you want to push him further up. Cub Swanson, these sort of people. But yeah, I think. I think he's still finding his feet. I think we need to just let him get get comfortable in his um, in his frame at 145 pounds. And I think 2017 by by the middle of 2017, I would expect him to have broken into the top 15, maybe into the top 10. But honestly, 
some of those guys at featherweight can bang, and uh, Burrell has, has been shown to be a little bit suspect under under uh, under the gun, so to speak. He's, he's been he's been hurt a few times, so um, it'd be interesting to see just how far his undoubted talent will take him in that bigger weight class against guys who've just got a little bit more bang in their gloves. So uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing how he does, but I don't think I don't think we're going to see him with the featherweight championship put it like that. Christopher Smith tweets in and says, What will the UFC do with Trinaldo? Now he's won seven in a row. So you were right, Simon, earlier on in the show. Uh, seven in a row. Uh, top eight, ten opponent, next question mark. Michael Johnson, question mark. Um, Simon, I think Francisco Trinaldo is one of those fighters where he's almost like it reminds me of a Neil Magny. You know, gets a, an incredible um, streak of wins together, which is so hard to do. In the UFC, it's hard to do an MMA period, but especially hard to do in the UFC to get that many wins on the trot. But like we said in the past, Simon, this is much as it is entertainment as it is, you know, a, a sport, right? And he's just one of those fighters, you know, who he prod, you know, prods along, gets his wins, great for the the Brazilian market. But I don't really see or hear much of him in between fights you know um you've got to sort of uh, quote unquote play the game um and you've got to become somebody that people are interested in talking about interested in in watching interested in seeing some sort of you know higher level development in regards to a main event slot you know are you you know calling out fighters in your post-fight interview you know um so i don't know he's just not He's not getting on a lot of people. He's not getting on. He's not on my radar as much as someone with a seven-eight win uh, streak in the UFC should be. Is what I'm saying. What do you think, Sai? Yeah, I mean, I'm looking down a list of people he's beaten, and Ross Pearson is is the highest level opponent he's beaten, um, and Ross isn't ranked. So that's the problem he has. You could keep beating guys who are unranked all day, and you're not going to get in the top fifteen. Eventually, you're going to have to beat a ranked opponent. So. That's the obvious next step for him. I certainly don't. I wouldn't necessarily say give him a top eight guy because this is the lightweight division, and this lightweight division is full of killers, as we say almost every time. Every time we talk about the division, it's it's nuts. You know, Rashid Magomedov is ranked fifteenth. He's he's decent. Out Quinto, obviously, we're not going to see him fight for a little while by the looks of it. Gilbert Melendez is twelfth. This is a former world champion in strike force. He's twelfth. Will Brooks, former Bellator champion, 11th. He's in action this coming weekend. Um, Poirier's 10th. So these are the sort of guys. Can we see someone like Masarandu do well against those guys? That's a big ask, and it's an enormous jump in in, uh, in class. I mean, Pearson was the best guy he fought. He beat him by decision, and I thought it was a horrible decision. I watched that fight, and I honestly thought, that Pearson won that fight. Uh, I also thought that Norman Park beat him as well. Um, and he got a win over Norman Park as well. Um, so this is this is what we're looking at. We're looking at a guy and he tends to... He's got two TKOs in those seven wins. The rest of them have been decisions. And at least two of those, he squeaked by. So he's not knocking people over left, right and centre. And these aren't ranked opponents. So what he needs to do, his last fight at the weekend was a TKO. It was a doctor stoppage, but... So, 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 what we need to see from him, he needs to start knocking some people over, and he needs to probably do two or three of them in a row, and then they'll start taking him seriously as a lightweight contender. He's big, he's strong, he's solid. He's a bit of a he's a bit of a cult hero down there in Brazil. 
so he'll always he'll he'll always do well for them down there in Brazil. Um, but the problem is the last time he was in there with a ranked opponent, I think was Michael Chiesa, and Michael Chiesa uh, beat him. Michael Chiesa uh, beat him by unanimous decision two years ago. Um, and just looking down, yeah, Michael Chiesa is by distance the highest ranked guy he's fought. So um, he needs he needs to have a gentle step up in competition. But he's also got to find some sort of fight finish, consistent fight finishing ability before they start bumping him up the lightweight ranks because that division is just too strong. Graham Hughes tweets in, any 204 sleep pattern tips? Uh, so this is interesting because earlier on today, Star, we both got um, the media schedule for UFC 204 in Manchester next week. Uh, and it's great to see that the UFC, uh, and it's the right thing, frankly, have got basically every media event um, kickoff super late afternoon uh, slash early evening just to allow all the fighters to be able to to sleep in, wake up that much later um, because of the uh, the fact that the fight is going to take place during uh, the hours of, of, of the night. The, uh, the fight card kicks off at 11.30 um, with the main card kicking off at 3 a.m. Um, and it's potentially going to conclude... But somewhere between, say, 5.30 and 6 o'clock in the morning. So, I don't know. Sleeping tips. I mean, I suppose have a super heavy meal and, and take a nap. Um, you know, have a few beers. I'm not sure. I, I don't know, Sai. Um, that's, what I, that's what I've got. I mean, just drink some, drink a few, have a few beers and have a big greasy meal and just lie in bed. And I'm sure you'll doze off, right? That's one way of doing it. <laughs> that sounds like most days for me. I've got to be honest. But um, but no, I th- see, I'm I'm probably the worst person to ask about this because I'm in a constant state of tiredness. I was talking to my wife the other day uh, about why I don't seem to suffer with jet lag when I get home when whenever I go to America, and it's because I'm never on UK time anyway, even when I'm here, because I'm always staying up till silly o'clock in the morning watching Tough or finding a stream for UFC tonight or something, you know, and, and, or I'm just on Twitter, just staring at news and writing stuff. So I'm, 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 I'm in some sort of weird time zone of my own. If you were finding where my time zone was, it'd probably be like a few thousand, a few hundred miles out into the Atlantic somewhere. That's kind of where I am. But I always end up ruining myself by not getting sleep the day before. But if you if you can sleep through on Saturday, sort of sleep through till lunchtime or something, that will set you up. But the most most important thing, eat early, eat early because once you're tired and you eat, that's it. It's over. It's all over. So so stock up on coffee, stock up on energy drink, drink a lot of water, drink a lot of water, and you'll be okay. You can do it. We can all do this, people. We can all we all we all have to do this together. It's going to be weird because. It's going to be daylight hours when we really need to be getting rest and the body's not used to that. But uh, I think the adrenaline will carry us through once we get to the arena. I very much doubt we're going to see people asleep in the stands. It's going to be too damn loud. So um, I think I think we're going to be okay. But yeah, liquids, liquids, not all alcoholic either. Well, well speaking of liquids, I did have somebody earlier on today um, tweet me basically asking what the, the alcohol policy at the uh, the Manchester Arena for UFC 204 is going to be. Uh, and I suppose for any of our listeners who are going to be in Manchester, first of all, make sure you say hi to me and Simon if you find us uh, and make us feel really awkward and uncomfortable. That'd be great. Um, but 
uh, I did reach out to the UFC PR team because I wasn't really sure what the, the alcohol policy is. And they basically said that um, the, the Manchester Arena has a license to serve alcohol until 4 a.m. Now, whether they actually uh, go ahead with that and do that, it's, it's completely down to their discretion. Um, but they have the, um, the, the lawful right to do that. So you can, in between fights, nip out, get yourself a beer if you want to. Uh, and you've got until four o'clock um, uh, to do that. So there you go. Um, you know, public service announcement for any alcoholics that are going to be in the Manchester Arena uh, next weekend. Um, but moving on, um, Tracy Trudeau. Now, before I um, ask uh, her the question that she's tweeted in, I want to give a shout out to Tracy Trudeau. Um, she's one of uh, those people that I've been able to connect with uh, in the world of Twitter. Uh, fantastic supporter um, of my career so far. I'm always plugging and tweeting and retweeting um, my my articles and links and, and engaging with me on social media and um I suppose, Simon, the, the, as many haters as there are in the world on social media that we've encountered uh, in, in the world that we live in, um, it's always nice to come across real, genuine, nice people. So hi to Tracy Trudeau from Canada. But she does tweet in and she says, strategies to expand women's MMA divisions in the UFC. And in brackets, she says, make a deal with Invicta for uh, a tough 145-pound women's champion. And I think that's a fantastic idea. I really liked the season um, that led um, to uh, a title shot or, I suppose, um, the very first uh, women's strawweight championship. I thought it was um, great that the UFC basically harvested a lot of the Invicta strawweight fighters. Um, we were already somewhat familiar with them, um, having watched them fight for Invicta. Um, but they were the best of the best in that particular weight class there was already some rivalries and storylines built in that they were to carry on over into the show and to be honest that's been the most interesting season of tough i think from the last five or six years that i was super super into so i think what you potentially could do is maybe do a similar thing where you get um the majority of the 145ers from invicta um maybe cherry pick a few other featherweight women's uh, female fires from other promotions around the world and maybe create a tournament where the winner gets to fight a Chris Cyborg for the inaugural UFC championship, you know, in a main card slot uh, or a co-main event in a pay-per-view, something of that of, of that kind of ilk. Um, but I love that idea. What do you think, Sai? Do you think a, a tournament on tough for the inaugural 145 championship belt would be the, the best way to go here? I think that's the best use of tough as well. I think they're doing it, obviously, with the flyweights right now for Demetrius Johnson. Um, it worked really well in establishing that 115 pound strawweight division. Um, that was probably, in terms of a lasting legacy, it's probably been their most successful season in many a year because they've established an entire weight class, and uh, you know we, we, we we've seen some amazing fights come off the back of that. Um, the other way of doing it, of course, is is a much more aggressive and money intensive way of doing it, and that's just to buy Invictor. Um, you can keep it running. Keep it running by all means, you know. Don't don't take it out of the out of circulation if you don't want to. But you could buy Invicta, um, and you could either run it as an all female promotion like you do now, and then what you do, you showcase certain fights as part of the UFC's pay per view events, or you have you have Invicta running as it is now. But you also have a UFC championship fights as well, so the, the so it's a bit like 
like saying like the WWE, right? I know this isn't real sport, but bear with me. In the WWE, you have the world title and the, the intercontinental title, right? So, but the same pool of people can compete for both. So, right? so it's, like, it's, it's like that. So it's like, so it's like having a European championship and a world championship. Or, do you know what I mean? Do you know what I mean? Two levels, yeah. two levels, yeah. levels of the title. You could do that. You could do that. Um, um, but obviously, you have instant access to, to the roster. You have instant access to, to the matchmaking skills that you can do. Vocal about it afterwards, and and he was very vocal uh, um, 
about about the ref John McCarthy, who, as we know, is one of the one of the most respected and probably the longest standing MMA ref in the game right now. So, um, so I thought that was a little harsh on him as well. Um, so I don't know. I just I think I think he probably needs a, you know he needs a sort of a, a rap on the knuckles or something, but nothing too much. Uh, I wouldn't. I certainly wouldn't be kicking him out of the UFC for it. Well, a wrap on the knuckles, I think, is what he's going to get because there was a report by my colleague Stephen Morocco at MMA Junkie um, earlier on today, uh, where he got in touch with the CAB MMA, uh, which is the regulating uh, commission uh, in Brazil for mixed martial arts, and and essentially they said that look, we're not going to tolerate what they consider to be unsportsmanlike conduct, which is exactly what this was. You know, referees should be able to go about their job without the just like a bus driver or anybody else in a walk of life where you're dealing with you know other human beings in some capacity um, where you shouldn't have to fear for your safety whatsoever um, so perhaps a fine a suspension something in that ballpark um, should be enough I mean it wasn't uh, overly aggressive where you know John McCarthy got injured or anything like that um, but we'll see what happens I mean I think it's crazy I mean even the Jason High and I'm glad that you mentioned that example because I thought you know Jason High gave the referee a shove uh, it wasn't exactly something that caused grievous bodily harm to the referee. Uh, obviously, he did it out of pure frustration, which is exactly the same situation with Roy Nelson. It was just a moment of pure frustration because of the sympathy he gave his, his opponent, his friend, Antonio Silva, where he was essentially in a situation where he didn't want to uh, do any more damage to his head. But essentially, you've got to keep fighting until the referee pulls you off and stops the fight. Um and he did, to his credit, instantly go to Instagram and social media and, and apologise to John McCarthy. Um, but I think, yeah, um, just a, a, a slap on the a, a wrist um, should be more than enough. And we can hopefully just move on from this, um, you know, really un, unfortunate situation. I mean, we should be talking about uh, a, a fight and a fighter that's you know, got back to winning ways. I mean, we were, the, the, the story coming into this fight was the fact that these guys were both on a on a one and four record in their last five, not exactly uh, the greatest run recently. Um, so it was a, a big win for whoever would come out on top. Uh, but unfortunately, we're talking about a, a controversial moment, which is just really unfortunate. Um, Aaron Morin tweets in and says, thoughts on cruises, play by play. And are you looking forward to DC doing play-by-play soon? This is great. I mean, um, I think universally he was praised by everybody uh, in the media when I was looking online. Uh, Dominic Cruz uh, made his UFC uh, color commentating uh, debut. Um, he's done some stuff, I believe, for Shuto um, in Brazil uh, for, the, for the Fight Pass broadcast. So he's, he's dabbled in it a little bit. Um, when he had that long layoff, uh, rec- recovering from multiple ACL surgeries and all sorts of stuff, um, but I thought he did a great job. And I think what we've seen over the last couple of years with you know DC and Brian Stan and and um, Dominic Cruz, but also in studio with with Dan Hardy and and Michael Bisping, having fighters come in, knowing the sport, knowing what to talk about, knowing what it's like to be in there, just kind of really helps you as a viewer. Um, you know, step inside their their mind and their head, and what the, what's going on in the octagon, and um, and for for guys like Dominic Cruz who can who can articulate himself ridiculously well, he's such a student of the game. He came across really well, and I think with so many kind of seeds being planted with these uh, fighters uh, commentating, I think eventually when the Joe Rogans of the world do decide to call it a day. I think we'll be in good hands, is what I'm trying to say, with an array of fighters who can do a great job in the commentary booth. But what were your thoughts and impressions of Dominic Cruz, Si? 
Dominic Cruz is one of those guys who, when you speak to him, he, you aren't just getting information from him, you're getting educated by him. I mean, I, I was fortunate enough to, to talk to him in Vegas. End of last year, he was part of a media day. Uh, and uh, he was fascinating just to listen to. I could have just pulled up a chair and just listened to him all day. Uh, he's one. Of, he's, got, he's got an amazing story to tell, but he's so sharp. And he's time out of the sport. He's really invested it wisely and really, as you say, becoming a student of the game. Uh, I think Brian Stan is the is the natural successor to Joe Rogan if if and when Joe decides to call it a day. I think Stan is fantastic. I think they've all got their own different styles. I think, uh, but I think I think Dom Cruz was was really good. Uh, he, he was he was really good. Um, and we can't we can't forget Dan Hardy, who's been who's been doing this job for a few years now, and he's superb. He's over there in the US now doing stuff on Fox, which is great. So the UFC are clearly you know, taking notice of that. But yeah, Don Cruz, superb debut. I can't wait to hear him call another fight. I think he's brilliant. Final question comes in from John Todd. Do you think UFC 204 could be the first of regular pay-per-views in the UK or just a one-off for Bisping? So here's what I think. I think best case scenario, um, for the time being, it will just be with Bisping. Um, Bisping is a champion, um, first ever British champion at the post boy of UK MMA. Um, the, the Brit, the Brit fighter that's most widely known amongst, uh, British MMA fans, whether it's hardcore or mainstream community. Uh, yeah, absolutely. You want to try and milk that for as long as you can. And whether it's always in Manchester or in London, um, well, the good thing about London is, is we've got 24 hour weekend service now with, with the London underground. Um, so if you're going to hold the event at the O2 arena, um, you won't have a problem of, you know, 18,000 on people stranded trying to get a night bus or a car home or an Uber or a black cab. You can get them on the underground and get them, um, you know, to wherever they need to go. Um, worst case scenario is, right, Bisping loses his championship at some point, whether it's in Manchester next week or or shortly thereafter, um, um, or even if he wins and the UFC decide to kind of put him back in Vegas. You know, Vegas is the fight capital of the world. It's close to home for him, uh, being based in California. And, um, you know, Bisping's got a, a slew of marquee fighters he could fight. Right. Um, and a lot of those fighters you'd want to see in Vegas. Um, so and there's only so many cars that they can hold in Europe uh, in, in any given year. Usually it's five. And if you're lucky, which I think we have been this year, you get six. Um, so I suppose, you know, normally there's a London event every February um, or, or typically that's the month the UFC hold an event in London in the past. So if all things go well for Bisping and he wins next weekend in Manchester, I think coming back to London uh, to defend his title again next February, that would make a lot of sense in the world. Um, but with regards to the future, Simon, um, with the, the pay-per-view market the way it is, and you know that's the master that the UFC have to obey to in the current business model uh, in the sport, and for us, obviously for us in the media, but also for fans uh, in the UK and Europe uh, to get big, big fight cards with lots of big uh, marquee names and title fights, what do you think the future is of uh, pay-per-views, not just in the UK, but, but Europe-wide? I think it, it's there is potential for change here. There's potential for change. I think this is the first time we've had a pay-per-view um, at US time over here in the UK. Um, and it's obviously not ideal. It's 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 built to serve the, the US pay-per-view market, as we know. 
And because the UK fans are such hardcore fans, they know that they'll go along and they'll support the event. What it won't do is grow the sport significantly in this country. Um, what it does is it, it's, it's a holding pattern. It means that it's, it's another event on these shores. It's a big event on these shores. But it isn't really going to give the sport the opportunity to really grow. If this fight at UFC 204 was taking place at 9, 10 o'clock at night, as opposed to 5.30 in the morning, which is probably about when it's going to happen, um, there's, there's scope for... You could put that on BT Sport. You could even put it on free-to-air, because they've got... I believe that there is always the possibility they could do free-to-air. BT can put events on free-to-air. So... Imagine that, you know, having a prime time fight night, even on even on BT Sport, a prime time fight night with the British world champion would be would be awesome. We as we as a nation have yet to have our Bonner Griffin moment, and it could have happened earlier this year if Bisbing and Anderson Silva had been on television, but it wasn't. It was on Fight Pass only. If that had been on TV, that could have been a Bonner Griffin moment. That that really was a pick up the phone and ring your mates. Something mental's happening kind of fight. Um, we haven't had it yet. It will happen, but it needs to be put on at the right time first. And and I'm hopeful uh, that under the new ownership here, and they're going to be looking at the best way to get return on their investment. And the best way to get return on their investment is international expansion. They've got the US market sewn up. Their pay-per-view market is fine. That services itself. It does what it needs to do. Now what they need to do is they need to expand out into Europe and into Asia. Um, and in Europe, where they've got a stronghold over here, because we've got such a rabid fan base of, uh, for MMA, if you can start putting big events on at prime time and putting them on TV with world champions, especially if you've got a local world champion, that's the perfect storm. Put it on prime time, and then what you'll find is go on a real charm offensive with the media, um, and, and, you know, do, do a one-off deal to get it on the radio. Do Put it on free-to-air. Make it a loss leader. Just say, listen, we're not doing this to make money from this event. We're doing this to kick things up a level or two so that the sport is just, you know, the, the, the awareness and knowledge of the sport is higher. The appreciation for the sport is, is, is better. And then when we come back again, it doesn't have to be with a world title fight. The next time for a fight night event, people will be more switched onto the sport. And sometimes you have to chuck some of the, you know, if, if, if you're chucking crumbs out there, people will peck at them. But you chuck some big stuff out there, more people start to take notice. And that's what that's what needs to happen. And I'm hopeful that with the new owners, they need to do this sort of thing in order to really get their return on investment. They've invested $4.4 billion. Just putting pay-per-views on in America is not going to make that back. Because that's what they were doing before. So they need to break from that. Don't have to stop doing that, but they need to break from that and find out how they can supplement that and build outside of that. And doing doing what I just suggested there, putting big events on at local time uh, and making them worthwhile events, not events that the American market aren't interested in. Make them events that the American market are interested in, but they let them be the ones who have to get up in the middle of the night for a change or get up early in the morning for a change. Because it shouldn't... If all the while it stays only an American event, it will only, you know, it, it won't grow much bigger than it is now, because it, it can't. It's kind of reached where it, ha- you know, it's kind of reached where it needs to be. If they need to really, really grow it, they've got to go global, and it, it, it will only work globally if you make it local as well.
So that's that's what they need to do. Very well said, my friend. Uh, and that's a wrap. That is uh, the question segment of the show all said and done. And uh, once again, thank you to everyone uh, for tweeting in. We much appreciate it. And that pretty much wraps things up for the Brit Pack this week. You can follow us on Twitter at the Brit Pack MMA. You can follow Sandu at Sandu MMA, and you can follow myself at Simon Head. Please do send us tweets during the week. Any questions for the show? Any feedback on the show? Let us know what you liked. Let us know what extra stuff you'd like us to talk about on the show. We're always on the lookout for, for extra bits of information, topics to talk about. So please do let us know. As for getting the show, you can get the show on SoundCloud, soundcloud.com slash the Britpack. That's the main home for the podcast. You go on there, you'll get all the links to how to subscribe. But you can get us on iTunes, you can get us on Stitcher, and you can also get us on Acast. So we're available on a multitude of platforms. The best way is probably just to jump on SoundCloud. Uh, get the SoundCloud app on your phone. You can stream it wherever you are. Uh, lovely jubbly, everything's good. Um, please do uh, get in touch with us during the week as I say if you're on iTunes and you want to leave us a review that would be awesome as well uh, if it was a nice one even better and uh, enjoy the fights this coming weekend we'll have some uh, some European based stuff for you if you've got a Flow Combat subscription you can check out Euro FC um, if you jump on the Sun website you can watch uh, ACB from, from Glasgow, that's going to be a fantastic card, and on next week's show Sandu will come back and report on what he saw in Finland I'll come back and report on what I saw in Glasgow, and then we'll build up to the big one, UFC 204 in Manchester, Michael Bisbing versus Dan Henderson for all the marbles at £185 at the Manchester Arena in the middle of the night, but until then Enjoy the fights this coming weekend, and we'll speak to you next week. Yeah.